Thank you, Hunter. You know, I love that about our church, that we can have... Okay, there we go. I feel like... All right, there we go. Okay, guys, I can't see you guys. Can you see me? All right. Hunter sets this nice worship tone, and then I get up here and just mess it all up, and so... Oh, goodness. Um, I think it's so wonderful, our church. I love that we have different kinds of worship sets here. I know some people like it to be the same every time, but I love it just changing up once in a while. It helps me not get into a pattern of, I just, you know, to go into what I call holy neutral when we sing sometimes. So uh, that's just a great thing to do. Um, Guys, we're in our second week of our, just finished our second week of our small groups, and I know it's just a six-week thing that we're doing here in our interim period, but... um, I think it's so wonderful. If you're not in a small group, you still got a chance to join. I know I sound like I'm doing an infomercial here, but it's just really important. And today we're going to talk about sort of why it's important for us to be connected as a church. And I'll tell you why we're talking about this, is that um, like every church, we've got people that are core people in our church, and we've got people that are that what we call the committed, they're the ones that are there just about every time the doors are open. But we, like every church, especially in the post-COVID world, have a lot of people that are just sort of, this is their church, they're a part of it, but they're just not very connected. And so we're going to talk about that kind of connection today. So, um, you know, we've got about 40 people or so enrolled in our small group. We've got a few more thing, you know, other people that are, that are thinking about it, some that can't right now, and I understand it. There's no guilt in this at all. But we've been talking about what this book called I Am a Church Member. And it talks about a lot of scripture about why it's important to be connected in a church and to be a functioning and contributing part of a church. And so today I'm going to talk about that kind of connection that we have from my very favorite passage in the entire New Testament. Now I know it's all good, but it's going to be our very favorite passage. But as we get to it, I want to, we're going to talk about loving like Jesus. Okay, loving like Jesus. We're going to talk about that our love is a different kind of thing for us. So there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 12, this is not our passage today, but I want to kind of refer you to that, that says, there are many parts but one body. It's talking about the church. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And that passage talks about that everybody in our church is important. Okay? From the oldest member to the youngest member. From the longest term member to the newest member. In fact, that passage, we don't have it in there, but in that, but right before this, there's a verse that says, but God has placed the people in the church just as he desired. In other words, he knows what we need. And get this, part of the reason why you're here today is because God has a, has a purpose for you in this body. Isn't that interesting that God has placed you here because he desired you to be here? that's sort of interesting. God chose you. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So we're going to look at our passage, my favorite scripture. I've asked Lydia to come read scripture for us today. So it's going to be um, John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. And so Lydia's going to read it for us as soon as I find where I printed it out for you. Okay, so there you go. All right, so I'm going to step to the side and let you do that. So this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that no one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Thank you, Lydia, so much. Appreciate that. An amazing passage all right let's have a word of prayer father as we look at this great wonderful passage father thank you for the words that jesus said here this is just so amazing and father today as we go into your scripture father please just let your holy spirit speak to our hearts father teach us what you want us to know about love and about how jesus loved and help us father to be ones who love like him as well in Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, I want you to know it's, it's scary to talk about love, okay? Because love is one of the most confusing words in the English language. Let's think about how we use it, okay? You people say, some people say, I love chocolate. 
Well, what do they mean by that? They mean, I want to eat it. Okay? So, but you say, I love my new car. I hope that means you want to eat it. It means you like driving it, like being around it. I love my dog. It means I protect it. I like having it around. But if you love your dog the same way you love your wife, well, that's just wrong. That's just unfair to your wife and to your dog, okay? Or your spouse or whatever like that. Or if you love your dog like you love your mom, that's not fair to either one of them either. You say, I love football. <clears throat> it can mean I love playing it. I love watching it. I love betting on it. All right? But it doesn't, you know, but you don't love it the same way you love chocolate, the same way you love your dog, the same way you love your mom, and you love your wife. I love math. Now, you think, may think, who would say that, okay? But there are a few people that just love math. <clears throat> I remember one summer my son was going into the fourth grade, and my wife punished him for doing something wrong by taking away his math book that he had for the summer, and he cried. Okay? So there are people that actually do love math, all right? Um, we could spank him, and he'd go like, all right, is that it? Okay, fine, I'm going on. But take away his math book, and it was just painful to him. So um, unless he was playing us, I don't know. But, but, but so, so you say, I love math. They mean I, I like mastering it. I like doing it. It's okay. I love my family. I would do any for, anything for them. I would die for them, whatever. All right? Or I love making love. Now, I'm not even going to define that one. All right? And children, if you're here, ask your parents later what that means, okay? That's not for me to talk to you about, Okay? But love is a very confusing word. In fact, when I was single, I made a commitment not to say I love you to any girl that I was dating because I didn't want to be manipulative. In fact, um, my wife knew that I had that commitment. And um, when I proposed to her, um, I won't go into the whole story, but, but, I, but when I told her I love you, she knew exactly the words that were going to come next, which was, will you marry me? All right, because now, now I'm not saying everybody should do that. I was a weird kid. I, oh, let there be light. Okay, there we go. All right, woo, all right. Okay, all right. All right, so where were we here? All right, so love can be confusing. It can even be dangerous if we don't understand it. And if we don't, how can we understand it if we can't even define it? So the best way to do that is go to the source. All right? In fact, 1 John 4, 8 tells us this very clearly. God is love. Catch that? God is love. It doesn't say that God is loving or that God acts lovingly. He does. But it goes before me, all far beyond that. God is love. And everything that we call love is based in God. And so I think this, this passage we looked at to, that Lydia read for us, for John 15 Verses 12 to 17 are the most important passages about love in the entire Bible, I believe, because it's Jesus talking. And so we're going to look at several things that Jesus said. Now, I'm going to try to be quick because we do have communion later today so in the service. So I'm going to try, so you guys have to listen a little faster than usual. And so the first thing I see in this passage is love is imperative. It is imperative. You know what imperative means? It's a command. You know, Jesus says very clearly, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. He doesn't say, this is my suggestion. Hey, this would be a good idea. Hey, guys, I would really like it if, he says to his disciples, this I command you, love one another. In fact, he even says it twice in this passage. In verse 17, he says it again. This I command you, that you love one another. I can tell you guys, if churches would learn that, I would probably be out of a job because there would never be a church that was, in, was interim or was fighting or they ever had to do any. Now, you guys aren't fighting. If you're watching online, this is not a fighting church, okay? But I'm saying I've gone and worked with churches that, you know, my church consultant worked. I would, if churches would learn to love each other, they'd probably never need a consultant because of that. Um, it's just, it's, this is my commandment. In fact, we even talk about when, when, God, when Jesus talked about love in Matthew um, 22, I believe it is, 22 verses 37 to 40, he talks, somebody asked him, you know, what is the greatest command? He says, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says, this, it says and the second one is like it. The second greatest commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he ends that passage by saying, on these two commandments, commandments the whole old testament the law and the prophets is all based on these two things 
on these two things. In other words, Jesus said you could take the entire Old Testament as the Jewish people knew it and said you can boil it down to these two things. Love God and love other people. And if we would get that, we'd be in so much better shape. And I want to say this to you, church, that you cannot be a healthy Christian or a healthy church without having observable love for one another. It's our basic commandment. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is considered the love chapter by many people, and by the way, it's not talking, 1 Corinthians 13, did anybody have it read at their wedding? Anybody have 1 Corinthians 13? Nobody did? Okay, good. Because it's not actually about husband and wife love, right? It's actually about church love. That's what that, that's what that whole verse is about, chapter is about. But he says in that if we don't have love, we got nothing. We have nothing if we don't have love. Now, some people might argue and say, well, love's an emotion, and you can't command an emotion. Well, that I say two things. First, yes, love is an emotion, but it's also an act of will. Love is a decision that you make. It is something that you say, I'm going to choose to be loving. I'm going to choose. It's a decision that I make. But I also say that it's an emotion, but God can command emotions. Joy is an emotion. And how many times is there a commandment to be joyful? All right? Um, so there's just all sorts of things. Like peace is an emotion. But how many times did Jesus say, be at peace? So God wouldn't command us to love one another if he didn't make it possible for us to do it. In other words, the very fact that God commanded it means you can be loving toward each other. But again, that's what we're talking about, these small groups. How can you love people if you're not connected to them? That's the important part there. You've got to be connected. Now, I want to say, guys, I think our church is pretty good about loving other people. I do. So I'm not saying this by way of correction. I see so many examples. Our compassion ministries, loving people outside. We try to take care of people in the hospital who are hurting, those kinds of things. But I will let you know, even in the few months that I've been here, I've run across more than one time that somebody in our church was in the hospital or had a need, and it never crossed their mind to let their church know because they weren't connected. All right, now, and you can say, well, maybe they had other people take care of. No, some of these cases wasn't the case. So I'm saying there are people out there that consider themselves a part of our church, consider themselves a part of our church, but don't feel connected enough to call somebody when they've got a need or to, to have somebody, or to reach out to somebody when they're hurting. And so that's something that we continually need to work at as a church. Now, you can say, well, isn't that sort of their fault? Well, yeah, people are adults and they're responsible for themselves, but it might be their fault, but it's our responsibility as a church to be the kind of church that is so loving and draws people into connection, that they have friends here, that they are connected here, that they have people that, that they know they can reach out to at certain times when they need it. Now, so that's all I'm saying with this, okay, that I, I just think we're good at loving, but like most churches, we've got room for improvement. Now, this is something we need to work on continually because God's standard of love is pretty high. So as we look at our second thing, it says love is imitative. Imitative, and I think, why are you using that word? Well, obviously, because preachers love alliteration. That's part of it, but it also fits. In love, we are to imitate Jesus. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Wow. You know, human love fails. Human love fails. There are families that are broken. I've shared with you before that I've got some struggles in my family that, that, that I am trying to work through with people and, and extended family as well. And, and you just look at all the problems that people have. And as we share, as, and many of you have shared family struggles that you guys are having. Love can, human love can fail. But God's love never, ever fails. That's what it again says in 1 Corinthians 13. And so when we think about loving, we're to love like Jesus loved. And we'll get to that in a moment. But um, really, for people who know Jesus, loving others could be as simple as just asking the question, what would Jesus do? <clears throat> and by the way, if you don't know where that phrase comes from, that, you know, the WWJD bracelets became popular for it came out of a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And he was writing about a pastor who led his church to take those steps of asking themselves always, what would Jesus do? And that whole book is about a church transforming a community, transforming a church and transforming a community because they loved each other. 
That's really what it's about there. And so if we just learn to be like Jesus and to be like him. I'm going to skip some of the things I want to say about it because I think you guys get it. So let me just ask this question. Why should we as a church and as individual Christians love each other? Here's the reason. Because one of the things when you're a Christian, you are called to be like Jesus. You get that? We are called to be like him. That applies to everything. Why are we called, why are we called to be truthful in everything? Because we're called to be like Jesus and he is truth. Why are we called to be loving? Because we're called to be like Jesus. And Jesus is God and God is love. Exactly. So we are called to be like love, like our God who is love. All right, let's look at 1 John 4, 19 says this, that says that we love because he first loved us. Jesus is the perfect example of love, and Jesus is always our standard for love. So let's take it a little bit further. So what does the love of Jesus look like? Well, the love of Jesus is infinite. It's infinite. It goes to the very end. It gives all that you can. This phrase should be the killer phrase that it says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Okay? Lay down his life for his friends. Can we, do we have another slide here on that one, I think? We do? Yeah, there we go right there. Love is infinite. Lay down his life for his friends. Here's the weirdest thing. You may not have made this connection yet, but in John 15, when Jesus writes that, when Jesus says that, that is the evening. He says this on the evening when he's going to be arrested and stand before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. So in less than 24 hours after Jesus uttered these words, he gave up his life for us on the cross. Do you not think Jesus took this seriously? That he knew at that moment when he said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. He knew he was about to do that for each one of us. That's amazing. That's what he goes on in that passage. It says, says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love like I'm commanding you, then you're showing that you're my friends. That amazing thing. I don't call you servants or slaves anymore. For a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I'm calling you friends because I'm letting you in on the inside scoop here. I'm about to show you what it's like to love one another, and this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm taking it to the very end. I'm giving everything that I have because his love is infinite. You know something? This is something that actually the world understands. I thought you may not really, you may not ever remember reading these guys, but Plato, that Greek philosopher from a little bit before the time of Jesus, said this, said, the virtuous man's conduct is often guided by the interest of his friends and his country, and that he will, if necessary, lay down his life on their behalf. Even secular people understand this. Uh, Aristotle said, only those who love wish to die for others. Even before Jesus came in the flesh, they'd recognize this, and Jesus demonstrated it. He's the only person in the world, in the history of the universe, who did not deserve to die for his own sins. But he died for ours, for our sins. So here's the question. Are you willing to lay down your life for the other people in this church? I know that's a hard one to ask, and it will probably never be required of you, but you know, we do have brethren, brothers and sisters in this world that do have to prove that. That are laying down their lives for their friends. Let me talk about certain places. I, I just read an article this week that was talking about how the uh, pastors are getting arrested more and more in China right now. They're getting arrested. They might go to prison. They might get released. They might get hassled. Seldom killed. But there are places in this world where people are killed for their faith in Jesus and they lay down their life for each other. God has not called us to be in that kind of place. But let's talk about, that. some of you would say I would be willing to lay down my life, but let me ask this. 
are you willing to lay down your preferences for other people in this church? Are you willing to lay down your control of things? Or your preferences in music? Or in dress? Or in programming? Are you willing to lay down your comfort for others in this church? What would you not be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of the people in our church? But again, to be able to do that, we have to know who they are. We have to get to know them. We have to be the kind of people that when we do something that uh, when Hunter chooses a song that we don't like, but we know that, our fel- that we, there are people in our church that love that song, we say, you know what, I have trouble singing this song, but you know what, I want to sing it as best I can because I know it's meaningful to somebody else in this church, that it's important to them, that it's communicating truth to them. Or, you know, well, whatever it might be that you're, that you're, you're dealing with, what would you not be willing to give up for the people in this church? Wow. John 10, 17, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. That's just an amazing, amazing thing. So the love of Jesus is infinite. It's huge. It's bigger than we can ever imagine. But at the same time, the love of Jesus is small and close because the love of Jesus is intimate. And we see that in this passage as well. In this passage where he says the love is infinite, Jesus says, for all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And this is a hard part for many people in, our, in, in any church, investing in other people. You know, it's easy to preach. This is easy. I mean, we've got a, even a physical separation here. I'm raised up on the stage, and you guys are out there, and you're listening to me, and I don't have to listen to you right now. Preaching is easy. Do you know what's hard? Being involved in the messiness of people's lives. And as an interim, no, I don't have to wind up doing that as much, though I am willing to. If you guys need something, I will be there. No one else, I've had very few phone calls during the week and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about this or that. But I'll be available for you that because it's not just about being up here and preaching. It's not just helping you find the new pastor. Yeah, that's my main goal. But it's also to get in there and be messy with each other. Now, I think part of the reason why I don't get a lot of calls like that is because a lot of you, most of the people in this church have somebody to call. But if you don't, I wanna, I'm in the trenches with you guys. I'm willing to be there. And also to reach out to people in our church that don't have anybody to call or don't feel like they can call anybody. We're here to be together in this, to demonstrate love together. It's intimate. It's close. Um, Think of it this way. Have you ever been in a situation where people are, you know, you're in a group of people and somebody, especially somebody who's sort of in power or in the know or whatever, gets your attention and says, come here, come here, all right? You know, just any time somebody does that to you, come here. You know, you got that feeling like, oh, I'm about to get something juicy. I'm about to get some inside stuff. I remember when I, when I uh, was doing a ski camp. I was the rec director of a ski camp back years ago. I know, Destiny, you probably don't believe it. I used to be buff, and I actually was cool at one time, all right? All right? We all wind up like this eventually, but I, but I ran a ski camp. And so after, after several weeks of the ski camp, we were like our last day there, and the kids had all learned to ski that week, and so it was week after week after week of different groups coming in. And so the, the lady who ran the ski thing put us in ski school, just said, hey, we want to just say thanks, we're going to put you in ski school. And then she, the, the lady in charge of the ski, the whole ski patrol and everything, she skis by the thing, sees us in the school, and she's like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? It's like, come here, come here, come here, come here. And so brought me in, uh, and, and, the, and the other guy that was working the camp with me, and said, you don't need to be in ski school, this is my best instructor, she's free right now, she'll give you a half day lesson, just the two of you. And I just remember that, when she motioned to us, like, come on, come on, come on, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. Well, that's that intimate kind of thing, to have inside knowledge, inside, inside connection. Well, we've got an inside connection with Jesus. He tells us all things, and he wants that same thing for us, that we are going to let people see our messiness. We're going to let people deal with our messiness together. Are you guys laughing, thinking of me skiing? Is that it? Is that, that it? Just trying to imagine me? All right. Oh, it looked terrible. I was, I had, they used to tell me that I had such great balance because they said, I've never seen anybody ski with as bad a form as you and still stay up. So that was, talk about your left-handed compliment. But anyway, but that's, the idea is that, is that we grow when we grow together. You guys have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? 
wrote the book The Cost of Discipleship. He was uh, part of a guy that was a, uh, a, was a German pastor during World War II and actually wound up getting uh, imprisoned and died in prison just before the end of World War II because he had been part of a, a plot to assassinate Hitler. All right, a pastor that did, I mean, that's how, but he wrote another book that's not quite as well known, but it was, it was basically as a book on discipleship, but it was called Life Together because Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed that to really grow as believers, we had to do life together. That you didn't grow in, in isolation. You grew in connection with other believers. And that's true for us. So love is too important to just let relationships happen. We have to work on it. And because it's too important to let relationships happen, we have to look at this pact that love is also intentional. It is intentional. We talked about it being a choice as well, all right? It's, it's, it's a choice that Jesus says here in this passage, I chose you. It wasn't like, okay, at church, I woke up and I'm like, okay, who decided to come today? All right? I don't get to choose who be, who's here, but Jesus does. He says, I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. And here's what I think about, okay, because before I was Mr. Cool, you know, rec director, ski, ski man, okay, I was a dumpy little overweight kid. And I faced the terror in first and second, third grade, that terror known as kickball, because I was often chosen last, all right? And so as one who got chosen last a lot of times, I know how cool it feels for somebody to say, I choose you, okay? Or if you're a Pokemon fan, that's probably some of our young adults here, okay? You can be Ash Ketchum, all right? God is like Ash Ketchum. I choose you, all right? That God says, not that you're probably the only one, Jeremy, but you're sitting right here, so I decided to do it. All right. Well, you kind of laughed at it. So does he play Pokemon? He doesn't do it still, does he? Do you have Pokemon Go on your phone right now? There are okay, I was talking to Lynn. All right. <laughs> Just checking on you there, all right? All right. Wives, if your husband's got Pokemon Go on his phone, rat it, I'll, I'll talk to you later, okay? I want to know about it. But, all right. You guys got to quit laughing at dumb things, all right? Okay, we won't finish the time if you keep laughing at things. But... But that's the idea is God said, I chose you. I looked at you. I looked at your messiness. I know all the screw-ups you've done. I know where you failed. I know the mistakes of your past. And I still choose you. I choose you to love and to lay down my life for. Because you're my friends. Boy, if that doesn't make us want to share the love of Jesus with other people, I don't know what would. I chose you. And you, and you, you want to walk out this door and you see people and you think, you know what, God chose you too, but you don't know it yet. And I need to tell you that. I need to help you with that. I need to, that's, that's what it's about. That it's, it's intentional. God choosing people. You know, when I'm struggling in relationships, especially with my wife, I want to remind myself, you know, to remind her that we chose each other. We didn't settle for each other. We chose each other. And no matter what happens, I still choose my wife to stick by her. It's not about her. It's not about this. It's just an example. So here's the question I want to ask. Are you intentionally investing in others? Are you intentionally showing love to people? Are you looking for ways to express your love and care to people in this church? Do you communicate to others that they are worthy of your time and energy? And not just the people in your circle of friends. Are there people here connected to our church that are not connected in a way that they're able to experience your love? Do they come in and they worship? They come in and they participate in things, but they do not feel the love of God through the church individually. So that's one of the things I want us to think about as we look at getting involved in small groups. And when a new pastor comes, small groups are probably going to be even more important in this church. That's how churches grow. They grow by getting small. And are you going to be the kind of person that will be intentional in building those relationships or helping other people build them? I'm going to say again, love is too important to let relationships just happen. We have to be intentional. But also in that phrase is the idea that love is important. 
Jesus says, I chose you so that you would go and bear fruit. And this gives us the reason Jesus invested in us. I mean, he loves us, but the reason he uses us is that he saw our worth and he wants us to go bear fruit in other people. And theologians have argued over this in the past, but it really comes down to this, all right? What's the fruit of an apple tree? Apples. What's the fruit of a pear tree? What's the fruit of being a Christian? More Christians. That's what he means by bearing fruit at this point. That we would be his hands and his feet, his mouth to go talk to other people about what it means to be a believer. All right? God has placed you here in this body to grow so that you can learn about other so that you so sorry, so that you can learn how to share his message to other people and communicate his love to other people. Um, back in my day, all right, Christian music has grown a lot, but back when I was youth group ages, all right, Christian music was pretty simple. I mean, it was, it was pretty, I mean, again, every song could be played with three chords, all right, so it was great to be a, be a youth minister back in that day. C, F, and G7, you didn't have to move frets, man, you just moved strings was all you had to do. And we had songs like, We Are One in the Spirit, all right, if you remember from my age, or does anybody remember the song, Pass It On? Nobody remembers that one? Okay, wow, good for you guys. Okay, that was super popular. Uh, but it, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and then everyone around is warmed up with it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you experience it, you want it. And, and so it was, it, it's a song that needed to, in fact, we created a pass it on list. Like, we need to pass it on, you know, get rid of it. To some, what else? But, but it was a great song. But here's the idea there. These songs are all about teaching that, if there's anything we can humanly do to grow this church and to grow people in it, listen to me again, if there is anything we can do to grow this church and to grow the people in it, it's to demonstrate love. That is it right there. To demonstrate love towards other people. The people of this world are starved for love. Starved for love. Okay, guys, just... we're. Red and Debbie had, had a leak in their roof, and so we've been praying for torrential rain so they can check and see if it's fixed. So that's just God answering a prayer right there so that Red and Debbie can blame them, but we've been praying so that they're going to be a good rainstorm so they can see if their roof is fixed. So just, Jackie, don't laugh at the dumb ones, please. I'll make you start sitting in the back, all right, so that you're not, for overtime, it's Jackie's fault, all right, right there. So. I'm going to say it again so I get us back into serious here because this is, this is important. This is probably one of the most important phrases out of the whole message. If there's anything we can, if there is anything we can humanly do to grow this church and to grow the people in it, it's to demonstrate love because the people of this world are starved for love, but not just any love, the kind of love where they can experience intentional, intimate, and infinite love. And if we can demonstrate that kind of love, I'll tell you, we will draw people to our church like moths to a flame. I can tell you right now, I've seen many people, I've seen it happen already in this church. I'll give you a, a, a different example, though. Some of you may have seen in your neighborhood at time to time, white-shirted young men riding bicycles, having a little badge right here, okay? And that is, um, and that group uh, since we're online, I won't mention it to my Mormon friends who that is. But, um, but um, this, yeah. But I'm telling you that that I've met people who've been drawn to that religion, not because of their theology, because their Jesus is a weak, weak Jesus. It is not nearly as strong and as mighty as the Jesus we serve. Their theology is messed up. But you know they have one thing right. They know how to love, and they draw people themselves. And I think there are people in the Mormon church who are, who are, who are God-loving, Jesus-fearing people, but have overlooked their theology because of the love that's there. And think about it, if they can do it, how much do we, whoever theology right, who preaches the powerful, mighty Jesus, who is both imminent, is both transcendent and imminent, both is infinite and intimate, if we have that Jesus and we can love like they did, we will draw people to ourselves. Not for our glory. Man, I don't know that Fresno Church ever needs to be a huge church. We don't ever need to be, we don't ever need to have Northwest and People's Church and, and all these other churches and Adventure Church all coming to school. How did you do it? That's not, that's not our purpose. What's our purpose? To love people. 
and to draw people here so they can experience the love of Jesus. That's what it's all about there. Um, one of the guys I use in my studies a lot of times with churches is a guy named Stephen Machia, and he wrote a book called The Ten Traits of a Healthy Church, a Healthy Disciple, and I've got a picture of it up here. And he said there were several things that, um, that, that helps show when a church is demonstrating love. He says, a church demonstrates love when its people show uh, agape love for each other. What do I mean by agape love? Is Agape love is the love that, that, that is a love not based on what the other, thing, other person has done, but just based on the love that we're able to show somebody. It's a love that creates worth in other people. It's the love that Jesus shows for us. When people demonstrate absolute joy, it demonstrates love. When people are affirm, have affirming communication, that demonstrates love. When the people are, have resolved their conflicts, when people have said, you know what, we had a struggle with this thing, but now we've resolved our conflicts. When the people resolve conflict, it demonstrates love. And when people spend additional time together. So I just want to say this again, and this is not to make anybody feel guilty. I know we have busy schedules. There's a lot going on. But I'm just saying, if most weeks, the only time you see people in this church is right here, then you're missing out on part of what God has for us here. Again, I'm not saying that make anybody feel guilty. This is not about, you're not doing enough, you've got to step up. All right? But I'm asking right now, if you feel like you're, you're, you're too busy right now with other things, just express to God your willingness to be more connected to your church. And I'm not talking about being here every time the doors are open. Okay? If you're always here, we're never out there reaching people. But if we're only here on Sunday morning, we're not connected enough. So just express to God your desire and your willingness to start doing that. And I believe God will honor by opening up the time in your, in your schedule. It may not be this week. It may not be this month. But I believe God will open up the time in your schedule to allow you to connect other people. Because he loves you and he loves his church and he wants us to connect together and grow. Last point. One last point. Love is immortal. Love is immortal. In this passage, he says that your fruit would remain. That word remain there, uh, again, that's not the best translation for this, but some translations say abide. The word means there to last, that your fruit would last, that it would make a difference. And I'll say again, I've said this before in our church, when we help someone cross from death into life, cross from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus, we change the fabric of eternity. There is nothing else in this world I will ever do that will make a difference in eternity except helping someone come to know Jesus better, to come to know Jesus and cross from death into life. That will last until eternity. Nothing else will. Jesus said, I want your fruit to last so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I remind you again, as we said at the start, just a few hours maybe within an hour after Jesus spoke these words, he was arrested and dragged off to a mock trial. And in less than 24 hours, he was nailed to a cross for us to say, I love you so much that I lay down my life for my friends. And I want you to love like this, to love others just as I love you. But to do that, we've got to get to know each other. We've got to be open to, to, to inviting people into our life. So what can you do? All right? First, focus on the love that Jesus has for you. Make sure you understand that. That you believe that you are worthy of God's love because he made you worthy through Jesus. And that's, that's the one of the weirdest things. In fact, we were talking about this before. Jeremy, we were talking about this before service. The weirdest thing about Christianity is that God has taken care of it already. There is nothing you can do to work to save your salvation. Uh, okay, it's, we're going to go, this minute overtime is on me, but I'm going to add this in. I think it's great. I just remember a story about a, a guy that is great revivals going on, like the one they had at Ashbury. It's, it's one of those big things. This is from years and years ago, though. And the guy tries to go to the town. He wants to know about Jesus. He wants to be part of this revival to see what's going on. And he gets there, and the revival services have ended by the time he gets there, because it took longer to travel back then. And he gets to the church where they were, 
where they were having their revival services, and there's just a janitor who's cleaning there. And he says, what's going on? He goes, well, it's, the services have ended. It's, it's done. He goes, he goes, so what is it? Is it, is it too late for me to do anything? And he said, and the janitor said, oh yeah, it's too late. And the guy was just shocked. He said, what do you mean it's too late? And he goes, it is too late for you to do anything because Jesus has already done it all. All you gotta do is accept it. It's already been done. And that's the great thing of our message that, that, that there's nothing standing between you and accepting Jesus than you accepting him. So focus on the love that Jesus has for you. Second, you can ask God to help you measure your love by Jesus' standard. We tend to measure our love by so many other standards, by what this other couple is doing or what this other family is doing or that kind of thing, and no. We measure it by Jesus' standard. Third, make a commitment to share his love with as many people as possible. Okay? All right, one way to look at it, or if it helps you, you can think about that world out there is just a stinky outhouse and you got the only can of Glade air freshener in the whole world, all right? And so if you did that, you'd be spraying it everywhere. Just spray the love of God everywhere you can. Get out there and do it. I know that's a crude saying, but, but you all experience that. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So go spray your can of God's love everywhere that you can. And then if there, and I will say this, if there are relationships in this church fellowship that need resolution, I want you to commit to solving them by Jesus' standard of love. That's the idea. Commit to right now, just, just take a moment. Is there anything that, is there, are there any relationships that you have right now that need to be repaired? If there are, ask God to help you show his love to other people to repair that relationship so that we can have the intimate, important, infinite love of God demonstrated through this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words again of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all that he did for us, just how amazing he was. And Father, I thank you that just the blessing we have of, of John recording this, of us being able to know what it was, at least part of what it was like for Jesus laying his, down his life on the cross. And Father, as scary as it is, I say thank you for calling us to do the same thing. And Father, in this church, I pray that, that every day and in every way we will do a better job of showing the love of God to each other and demonstrating the love of God to a world in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage, where John 15 is also right at the time in that same evening they shared the Last Supper. It was their Passover meal. We remember that through what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to do that now. So I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward if you would please. And uh, they will understand. We're going to do something a little bit different here, okay? Because of the nature of this message, and I know it's a little bit, a little bit odd, so They'll dismiss you by rows. You come down and pick it up. Normally in our church, people just take it individually. But I'm going to ask us to, to take it together this time. Now, I know we have, all right, I get it. Just, if you're watching online, just don't pay attention to this, all right? That, that normally you get to church, you get like one of those little wafers and one of those little chiclets, okay? And we've got like, you know, like a Panera Bread sandwich right here, okay, for you to eat. And I know, so it's not just a bite, and that's okay. Every church can do it differently. So when we do it, you can, you can choose to eat the whole thing or just take a bite together if you want to and eat the rest of it, you know, later. Again, in a worshipful attitude, we'll talk about that. But I will direct us to when, when to do that. So we do it together because it's something we're going to share together and remember together. And the same thing with the drink at that point. How you finish the rest of it is between you and God, and that's, we'll, we'll give you time to do that, okay? Does that make sense? Yes, follow? All right. So, uh, gentlemen, so we'll have prayer before we do that. So, gentlemen, if you'll just dismiss people as we, we do. I know it's different. you got the interim doing it, so.
Jesus spoke these words, again, he was with his disciples, whom he loved. And he shared this time, this experience with them. So, right. And remember, this was part of their Passover celebration, but it was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do. As you think about this, think about what was going on in the heart of our Lord as he knew this was his last meal, that he was about to suffer as a human and as God, but he was to suffer in every way every human does. And so in the book of Matthew, it tells us, it says in Matthew so I think we should have it on screen here for you. Matthew 26, 26. It says, Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body. So let's take together and just, in your heart, think about what Jesus has done for you. it is difficult for our human minds to imagine what would compel the creator of the universe to become a person so that you could give his life on the cross for us. Father, that love is almost incomprehensible to us, but thank you that you demonstrated it through Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. And Father, while we take joy in your love, while we take um, pleasure in knowing that we are yours, we will never take for granted the price that you paid and the love that you showed. Amen. Then Matthew goes on to say, um, It's on the screen here. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood, his precious perfect blood, so that we could live for eternity with him forgiven. Take it and drink. thing to at one time recognize that we are totally unworthy of a relationship with you yet we have been made worthy by the sacrifice that we remember and so father we we honor you and we commit to show our love your love to each other and to the world because the god who sacrificed for us calls us friends and lives with us through your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for Jesus and for what he did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to say to you, if you, if this is new to you, if you don't understand this, I didn't give you a lot of instruction. This is something only God's people do together regularly. And if you don't know what that is, I want to encourage you after the service to talk to me or one of the deacons or another godly member of our church so that you can understand what it is to experience God's love as we have. And it says, after singing a hymn, they went out.